Oh, great people of the cloud. This episode is brought to you by online IT training from sponsor IT Pro TV. And because you, yes, you are so very great, IT Pro TV is offering you a seven day free trial and 30% savings off of any plan you choose. Visit itpro.tv slash day two cloud and use promo code cloud at checkout to exercise your greatness. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. On today's episode, we are going to get into developing your professional career with Sam Erskine. He's the head of cloud engagements for a large consulting enterprise. And the conversation we had, which is absolutely fantastic, Sam is a dynamic speaker. His analogies are ridiculous, if not spot on. And he really made me think that you need both the soft skills for things and you also need technical chops and you need to understand the why of things and not just the how. What stuck out to you, Ethan? Well, he had this notion that built on that of uh, career capital. That is, you can go to a place of employment. They could offer you a, you know, a title and so on. But the thing that actually makes you employable and worth dollars to them are the things that you can actually do and deliver. And he emphasized the distinction between titles and and job skills, job skills, uh, including the how and the why of technology. But then, as you mentioned, Ned, also those uh, soft skills. And, and for, for example, the conversation that we have about listening that comes up in this podcast and how to listen and what that really means, I thought was fantastic. So everybody out there, take a listen to this episode of Day 2 Cloud with Sam Erskine, head of cloud engagements. Sam Erskine, welcome to Day 2 Cloud. How you doing, buddy? I'm great. All right. And awesome. um, how, how you doing, Ned? Because like, you know, day two, what happened to day one? <laughs> oh, day one was a long time ago, my friend. Uh, we, we've known each other for a while and we've done some fun, fun stuff together. I remember the first time I talked to you, you told me all about a book you were writing and all the fun projects you were involved in and how you'd kind of marched through your career a little bit. And it was a really interesting conversation. And we've had more of those conversations since that time. I think that was a, oh, three years ago or something. Yeah. We don't usually ask guests to give us their like whole backstory, but it, I think it's really germane to this discussion. So can you tell the folks uh, kind of where you started with IT and how things progressed for you? Yeah, sure. Thanks. That's a great question. You know, getting me to compress about 25 years in a few seconds, but here goes speed date in my job history. Uh, well, actually started off wanting to be a developer um, many years ago, um, but then found out that a job market wasn't ready yet. Um, but my claim to fame is my very, very first interview from um, graduation was with Intel. And I only got that interview because you had to handwrite in um, your cover letter. And I had a pink piece of lined paper. I reckon that's what got me in. Let's just say I never worked for Intel. <laughs> um, but following that, I became a field service engineer, moved into desktop um, management. Um, outgrew the role and then transitioned into a server um, role. So I was actually um, working with SQL back in the day, right? And then moved into the era of hardware consolidation, transitioned into virtualization um, from like, you know, um, the Microsoft technologies around virtualization back then was very heavy, mm -hmm. but then moved into VMware and then had a, a massive pivot um, into um, Citrix. So went into thin client. And mm -hmm. after that, 
um, jump into ThinkLine, came back into sort of like IT service management. Now, this was the early days where I was just sort of like, you know, exploring different options as they came along. And it was, I'll call it the era of give me a chance and I'll prove myself. Um, but once I'd gone past that, moved into um, systems management. So I actually started with, I think it's now called Big Fix, but it used to be Tivoli um, Endpoint Management, the equivalent of um, System Center. And then mm -hmm. an opportunity came about and I actually started with SMS 2003. But when I joined the organization at the time, it was Active Directory um, and Exchange plus SMS as a side competency. But I grew that role into a global position because they went from something you do partly to something you do for real. Um, mm -hmm. And then one system center moved into a bigger portfolio of products. I covered the whole range. And you did mention about book writing. At that point, I kind of like become a documentation junkie. And <laughs> somebody said, well, why don't you turn this into a book? And it was one of our favorites, uh, systems management products back in the day, um, service manager. Uh, you mm -hmm. kind of like needed to unpack your brain, put it back in, and then reshuffle it in order to figure it out. Um, so it went from writing a few blogs, um, training some people, and then got turned into a book. And I think so at that point, I intersected with you. Um, What's interesting about the book writing thing, and I think this kind of happened to me too, was when you're doing these big consulting projects or you're working for an organization and you start doing really good documentation, it does kind of turn into a book. Like... I ended up with these 130, 140 page documents when I would do a rollout for a client. And it was very detailed, like this does this, this does that, this is the architecture. And it would be like a non-trivial um, or a somewhat trivial amount of work to turn that into a book by just changing the audience a little bit. Is that kind of what happened to you? Yes. You know, I was trying to <laughs> come up with a really long answer. But yes, that's what kind of what happened to me. But I did have a commercial part because I was, um, my next step was to work for myself, right? And at okay. that point, I used to spend two weeks of consultancy time baselining my customers into just what this product does. Then I realized that, well, I had a blog about it. I had some text about it. So having the book served two things. One, I could go in and they went, well, you know, can you prove you're better than the competitor? And I'm like, well, I'm the only one that's got a book on it. And two, <laughs> here, read it, right? <laughs> right? Read it. And it will save you 10 days of um, um, consultancy fees, right? Right. So it, that's what the value was. And that's when I got into that. But then once I got back in-house, went back to my roots. Because, you know, when you're consulting, you can bounce about different um, competencies that you, you're good at. But when you go back internal, you have to anchor. So I anchored back into Config Manager. Um, but then moved into, because I'd been doing architecture in the fields, so moved into architecture. And now I'm the head of cloud engagement. And the lessons I've learned from the last conversation we had personally um, was, well, I can't keep on doing the stuff that I was doing 10 years ago because the younger people coming out, fresh mindset. And it's actually more fun trying to be strategic, knowing mm -hmm. you can be tactical. Yeah, I think you need all that background the years of experience to be good at the strategic portions of it because you need that background. But you know, once you're there, 
maybe you know get moving away from the technical keyboard a little bit and thinking more strategically is is where you you know bring more value to the organization that sounds weird to say it like that it's very business very businessy <laughs> uh, i'm curious if we if we go back in time to when you started yeah. out in technical roles was there like an aha moment where you were like uh, this is what i want to do this is the thing for me or were there multiples of those moments cuz you you've transitioned to a bunch of different roles I would, you know, I was thinking about that the other day and there were multiples of those. However, it wasn't based on the technology. It was based on my manager or my work colleagues and how they made me feel at the time. I'm um, mm. getting into that. So I was super excited about Think Clients when I first got into it because, you know, I was supporting a remote office. And at the time, I think it was called WinFrame, right? So it was having a Windows 95 interface on a user's computer that was running Windows 3.11. And it was freakish. It's literally teaching somebody how to right-click, right? So I was really super pumped about it um, back then. Um, the other times, like I said, it's also been more around the people I worked for. So um, when I had a um, particular manager that just gave me freedom, it's like, make it happen. You know, I was um, going to technical conferences. I was connected in a community to people like yourself. And I felt really excited about it. So it's not so much about, for me personally, it's never really been about that particular technology because I get bored doing the same thing over and over again. So the aha moments have been like, you know, you know, working for Ned. Ned goes, you know what, I trust you. And I'm not afraid to make mistakes because let's face it, in this industry, you are going to make mistakes, even if it's like friendly fire on intent that consequences happen. Right. That you, you've made a lot of successful transitions from technology to technology. It kind of hopped around a lot. And I think you alluded to some of that is that you get bored, you know, and do, doing the same thing day in and day out. Is there some sort of common theme or, or an attitude that you've found that helps you be successful in these transitions? I think I've used the word before, but it's called adjacent possible. It's really getting to the edge of what you have. So I don't want to call it border such, but it is easier to explain as boredom. So um, there are a couple of things. One of it is you get into something so much and then you hit the limitation and you think, well, what next? And the second part is opportunities. And if I use sort of, um, I have these external monitors. And as mm -hmm. a traveling consultant and as an author, I wanted to have a portable monitor that I took with me. And also at the time, I believe TSA and others said, if you can't turn the device on, we're going to take it away. And I just invested in these Intel Nooks. They were headless, mm -hmm. you know, mini boxes. So I started off looking for, well, that solution. And then it got me into the camera industry because they're the only ones that had battery portable monitors. Um, by the way, like about seven inch were tiny, yep. you couldn't see anything. I was like, man, <laughs> right? So that's when I discovered display link technology. And then I wanted a native powered USB monitor. So by the time I got that, nobody was even looking at it. And it's the same thing with your career. So some of the opportunities happened because I actually attend sessions at conferences that are completely unrelated to what I'm doing, right? Like mm -hmm. I'll go into a PowerPoint session 
I'll go into a .NET session and I think, well, I don't know what these people are talking about, but you have little gems around how they plan for it. And then you find actually they have a scope for somebody like me within that role. Um, so that's how I, so it's kind of like accidental discovery and not being afraid to step outside your comfort zone. Right. Yeah. I've, I've found that's been incredibly important in, in my career as well. It's that having that curiosity to begin with of it, just exploring something, not being afraid of, you know, the sea of red when you mess something up, uh, but doing it in a way that's not going to cost you your job is kind of yeah. important. Um, when I was, when I was still on help desk, I was working with server windows server 2000 and I was learning about active directory cause I wanted to get certified. And mm-hmm. I stood up an active directory domain on a spare server, but it was connected into the corporate network. And Ooh. I didn't really grok what that might do to the corporate <laughs> network. And I was very fortunate that one of the network admins caught it and was like, hey, can you need to shut that down? <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. And then he explained to me like, okay, here's how you could bring it back up in a way that will be safe for you to tinker around without messing with our... Uh, they were running NT4. So it was like going to mess with their NT4 domain and stuff. It was like, oh, sorry. Sorry about that. Wow, you've activated a seriously um, scary memory, <laughs> right? So um, it was a lesson learned uh, and how to become an expert at the same time. Well, I trusted somebody, and this is going to show my age a bit, but it was back when you had Schedule Plus and email were separate on your exchange service. So I joined this organization, and my friendly rival in the server team, um, very friendly, um, set me up. So I was like, well, we can't, we can't get this guy's mailbox to work. He goes, well, check, is there any mail in there? I go, no, right, fine. Well, you can delete and recreate it. Exchange 5.5, five, right? Deleted mm-hmm. it. The PA calls me because they'd been told I was the one that did it. Of course, he had no email, but he had loads of scheduled appointments in there, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I just wiped out this guy's entire diary for the year, right? Um, uh... I had to learn how to restore a single mailbox in Exchange 5.5. And if you've ever done that before, you have to build a server with the same organizational name, restore the same thing off the network, oh. and then watch the dots, like paint dry, right? ESUtil, mm. right? After that, we turned it into a service and charged people, but it wasn't a pleasant experience. <laughs> that was like a weekend of my life I'm never going to get back. But you know what? I became a beast in exchange recovery. Yes, yes. And that, is, that was a rarefied talent at the time, being able to successfully yeah. restore exchange. So I dig that. <laughs> so when we were chatting a while ago, you talked about a presentation you did, and it talked about a five-step process for advancing your career. And obviously, you've been you know pretty successful at advancing your career. Um, so I wanted to talk about that presentation a little bit. But before oh. we get deep into the weeds on that, I'm just curious... Do you think the steps in the presentation apply only to people who are getting started, to people who are, you know, mid-level, senior, or is it just kind of applicable broadly to everyone? I believe it's applicable to everyone. And here is why. I'll just unpack that for you. It's similar to the way I write books, right? It's based on the objective and the methodology rather than the actual steps, right? So I can come and see and you go, well, click this button, click that button, and it's done. It's very much like 
um, what happens today with things like PowerShell. You've got people that do the copy-paste modify, but mm-hmm. not understanding what the actual code does. So when I presented these five steps, it was based around whatever your career is, and not even in technology, it should apply because they're based on life lessons and talking to different people that have also transitioned through that. And finally, it's also got a lot of background in um, another passion of mine, which is reading. So books like um, Outliers from Malcolm Gadwell that Mm -hmm. dig deeper into what success really means. And then there's another one by Carl Newport, um, Be So Good They Can't Ignore You. Right. So those ones dug into what it actually takes um, to build a career, because most of the time we see the end of the journey. Right. We never see the beginning or the middle. And when you read those two, mm-hmm. I just say, well, I don't have time to tell people about all of the books that I've read. How can I compress it and make it accessible for everybody? OK, that makes sense. So I'm guessing when you're looking to advance your career and starting on this journey, there's probably some level of preparation. I don't even know if this is like a first step. It's like a step zero of, yeah. of advancing your career. What does that prep work look like? Everybody will say go to school, but actually have a purpose. I mean, <laughs> you know, and it always anchors to a very basic thing, right? It's not because we're all about money, but money is an indicator of value, right? Mm-hmm. So the prep work is really if I do this, what is it going to allow me to do? Um, and nobody's going to give you a shot. I mean, it's always exaggerates here, right? Um, if you say a driving license, most people can jump into a car, drive in the car park, and it's easy. But if somebody turned up and you are at the airport and are like, oh, you know, have you flown a plane before? Go, no, I haven't, but I'll give it a go. So you need to at least try and learn about the basic principles of flying and get a pilot's license or at least somebody that would take you through an apprentice. So that's why I would say the prep work is you can't just jump into this cold thinking, well, you know, time to build a career in technology. Here we go. <laughs> so Yeah, do a little homework. Understand what you're getting into and maybe have a some somewhat of a goal in mind. I, I, mm-hmm. I've always found that if my goal is too specific, then um, it becomes really difficult if you're pushing it out like two or three years. But if your goal is a little more nebulous, a little more general, then you can refine that as you go. So you, you, you kind of know I want to end up in a, a particular area. Like if I was driving from New York to Los Angeles, maybe my yeah. original goal was I just want to end up on the West Coast. Yeah. Oh, and I get some of the way there. And oh, you know what? California does seem nice. And then I get a little bit closer and I go, well, maybe LA isn't for me. I want to end up in San Francisco, which is probably more accurate. And then you get there and you're like, oh, and I want to work in this specific building. So it just, it refines over time. I do agree with that. And actually in a podcast that I did with a good friend of mine recently, I actually use the sailing analogy because it's easier to conceptualize, especially mm. from this industry, right? So you want to sail from America to England because, you know, you come in my way, right? Or you may want to <laughs> sail to Africa um, or sail to the Caribbean. But that's your end goal. But you may find out that you drop in Bahamas and you're like, whoa, this is a fantastic place. I want to settle here. I've met um, the partner of my dreams and you're done, right? Um, <laughs> but somewhere down the line, we're like, well, when we met, didn't you say you wanted to go to Africa? Yeah, sure. Let's go there, right? So um, that's more like it 
um, for me. Um, so just mm-hmm. thinking, yeah, fine. You know, like you said, you know your destination. Then how are you going to get there? So you could decide to start flying instead of sailing or driving the West Coast. I think um, you Americans go Route 66. We call it Route 66, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I think your analogy wins on that one. Uh, and that's why this is your presentation, right? So what, what is the first step of the five-step process for advancing your career? Great question. Well, what I do is actually cheat. So it's actually blocks of steps, but very simple steps. So step one is really building your career capital. And then I quoted Carl Newport earlier, be so good, they can't ignore you. Um, and then finally, in that general, remember that all technology dies. The only constant is change. So mm. if I boil that down, I believe... Steve Jobs did a little speech that said, follow your passion, right? But nobody's going to pay you for being a great surfer, right? <laughs> you still, you know, they'll pay you for teaching them how to surf, right? So um, most people think, well, you know, I learned five minutes of this, pay me, right? But you have to get really good at it. And then the career capital bit complements it. So it's just really, um, think about this, your currency, because. Um, being given a title in an organization, that's just a title. But having the ability to transition into another organization, I will give you the same title for a certain amount of money, right? That's your capital. Because whatever you learn in your head, nobody can take it away. That's why I say build your career capital. Don't get emotional about not being given opportunities. Focus on building the capital because then the opportunities will follow. Now that that sounds very skills based in your mind. Uh, the way the way you came across, it's like okay, you need to be able to do the thing, you know. So there's something that you've learned how to do. You've built this capital. It's not enough to have a title. You got to be able to rock up, fire yeah. up the keyboard, and make the thing happen. So from a tech, if, if I'm a technical person, an engineering person, is that where you think the focus should be? Absolutely, and I would say I love analogies, right? So I like to cook, right? Now learning how to cook just one meal right, will keep you in a particular restaurant. But learning how to cook and understanding that cooking is more than just chopping onions and stuff. You still need to clean the surface. You still need to understand the health and safety aspect of the kitchen, etc. right? That's what I mean. So we need to take skill to another level. And if we bring it back to networking and, you know, um, programming, etc. right, nobody should write a program without understanding what it's trying to achieve. Because you end up with this linear code that's inefficient and it's plain dangerous. And, you know, even with networking, you know, people that misconfigure, you know, it could be something as simple as, you know, the wrong DNS record or not understanding the routing mm-hmm. table, right? I'm, I'm showing off now, right? But I have been there. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> but downstream, that always costs somebody. So that's what I mean. It's really um, skill. It's not just how I do it, but why. I do it as well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, looking back on, especially the early parts of my career, that is definitely what my focus was. I went the route of certifications pretty often because that was a very organized way to learn something, get some some skill. Like I did MCSE NT4 back in yeah. the day. You guys were talking about domain controllers and Exchange <laughs> 5.5 five and bringing back all those, all those sort of memories. And I, I made up a good bit of career capital that way. But then you know, the, the shortcomings I had particularly early on were in, you know, communication, you know, interacting with fellow humans as effectively as I, as I could have. It's like, I wasn't horrible at it, but I wasn't great at it either. 
So, Sam, do you have another step that helps us with uh, that kind of thing? Indeed. And you can't follow my route, right? Because I've been a DJ before. Right? I was actually <laughs> a shy kid in school. But yeah, the second part is really be open to new ideas and uh, listen to understand instead of listening to respond, right? Which allows you to turn no into connections. So if I unpack that, uh, the technology industry is full of fantastically huge egos, which makes <laughs> us resistant right, to listening to somebody else, right? And it, that's, it, it's, that's a skill in itself. So learning to communicate. I always say, you know, if you can have your conversations as though you are having it in your living room with your granddad, that's the equivalent of listening. Because believe me, I would never talk over my granddad back in the day. You know, mm -hmm. It wasn't a great idea. A, he could talk more than me. And B, somebody else was listening right? and we're going to tell on me. There were so many snitches in the family, right? Well, it's rude to granddad. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not saying treat other people like your granddad, but if you really want to get ahead, that's soft skills area. And it's why I'm passionate about this podcast, right? Because we can come here and jam about technology. But most of the people that you are going to interact with as you grow your career just need to understand who are you and what can you do for me? And do you actually understand what I need from you? Hmm. So, so you, you said listening, just to compartmentalize that, this one statement you, you, you made uh, stuck out to me. You said listening, kind of said listening to hear as opposed to listening to respond. If I'm listening to respond, I'm waiting for you to shut up so that I can make my point and say the thing I want to say, as opposed yeah. to listening to what you're saying, thinking about it and responding to that appropriately. That's spot on. And it's really... It's a little podcast or, you know, an audio book. Let's get real or let's not play. Uh, we'll try and remember the name. I think he's called Mahan. And somebody recommended it for me, right? And we are very, very big on like, you know, well, you and blah, 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 blah. Mm, I'm not listening. I'm just, I'm just going to wait because, you know, I know how to fix this problem, right? And I call it, there are people that have a problem for every solution. That's when you're not listening to understand. You know, somebody's explaining something. It's just that you already have this preconceived idea of, how you are going to fix it, right? Um, so the great analogy they use is that, you know, you go up to somebody and you've got a lawnmower and you're talking about, you know, how it can trim, how it can cut. And they go, well, you know what? My garden is not quite like that. It's got a few trees here and there. You haven't listened for the cues, right? It's just got a few trees here and then rocks. And then suddenly you turn up and he's got a Zen garden. It's just gravel, rocks everywhere. So you're right on lawnmower. It's no use, right? That's the that's what I mean by listening to respond. Because you're like, yeah, of course I do gardens. I'm great. I've been, I've been working gardens for like about 20 years, right? I don't, everything you can talk about gardens, I can do it. And I've got a beast of a machine. I can trim faster than anybody else. You didn't hear them say, I've just got rocks and trees. Yeah, I, that reminds me a lot of consulting where you do go in with a preconceived idea of what they want. And a lot of times it's because your sales guy or whatever has told you what he thinks the problem is. So you're going in armed with that. And he told you, <laughs> oh yeah, you know, they're really looking to refresh their, their storage array. And then yeah. you get there and you have to throw everything the sales guy said out the window because what they're actually looking to do is maybe augment their backup solution. And if you're going there assuming it's all about the storage array and just, you know, mm -hmm. not listening to the client at all, you're going to miss what they actually want. 
and they're either not going to hire you or you're going to do the wrong job and they're going to be really unhappy. So yeah, it's, it is about listening. Oh my goodness. Well, it, it, there's that problem of if all you've got to hammer, everything looks like a nail. So you can, doesn't yeah. matter what they say. You don't want to listen because you want to solve it with the hammer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm with you on that one. And um, I believe, you know, if you treat every problem as a nail, you're always going to be hunting for your ha camera, right? <laughs> your hammer. Right. <laughs> yeah. Don't edit that. You see, I just want to show that I make mistakes, right? Hammer, <laughs> camera, you know what I mean? Uh, uh, yeah. It all flows. <laughs> I am interrupting Ned, our guest, and probably myself to talk about our sponsor today, IT Pro TV. IT Pro TV isn't a reality TV show about an IT professional making the world a better place because they did that already. It was called Nick Burns Computer Guy, and you can't improve on perfection. Rather, IT Pro TV is online IT training. Because you, as a day two cloud listener on the bleeding edge of IT, seriously, you're bleeding, walk away from the AWS console, IT Pro TV is offering you a free seven day trial and then 30% off of any of their plans you choose. What training does IT Pro TV offer, Ethan? I can hear you asking as your flying car on autopilot takes you to work. Well, lots of things, including courses on various aspects of AWS, Azure, Linux, DevOps, and development. Will IT Pro TV have exactly what you're looking for? I don't know. So you should go check them out and see. There are over 4,000 hours of on-demand training. The hosts are engaging. They present their information in like a talk show format instead of a super boring lecture. They're live every day, and the shows go from studio to web in 24 hours. And you can find the courses easily. They're listed by category, certification, and job role. Now, you can stream these courses on demand from anywhere in the world using any tool you want. Chromecast, Roku, Apple TV, PC, or their iOS or Android apps. So learn IT. Pass your certs and level up to the next cloud or your next job with IT Pro TV. Visit itpro.tv slash day2cloud for a seven-day free trial and 30% off of any plan you choose. Use promo code cloud at checkout. That's itpro.tv slash day2cloud and use promo code cloud at checkout. ITPro.tv slash day2cloud and use promo code cloud at checkout to try it free for seven days and save 30% off of any plan you choose. And now I'm done interrupting myself and Ned and our guest. Back to the show. The other thing that's really like to me is very important about listening is it's an opportunity to learn. It's not just about listening to what their problems are and trying to come up with a solution. Sometimes it's just, this is your opportunity to listen to someone who's smarter than you or knows more than you or knows more about something yep. to, to absorb that information. So like when I'm talking to you, Sam, and you, you bust out this crazy analogy about a Zen garden, like I'm learning something and, <laughs> and I need to listen and absorb that information. And that I think leads us to the next step in sort of your process, which is how you approach learning to advance your career. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? There's a term in here I really like. Well, uh, I know which term you like, and that's why I'm going to hold it back a little bit. But I'll say it's okay. develop, it's linked. Don't worry, I won't hold you back for too long. But I'll say develop a scientific approach to learning. And I learned a buzzword, you know, the adjacent possible. And I believe it's actually from chemistry, its roots. So when you have multiple chemicals swimming against, um, around each other, they will collide and create a new chemical, right? 
Um, mm. So the adjacent possibles really things close together, but you didn't really associate them. And you have to have that scientific mindset. So I used to do this session where I was like, well, come up with your hypothesis and then say, you know, this is what I'm trying to achieve. And then treat it like the scientists. And if we go back to the old technology days, it's like the reverse of troubleshooting, right? You know, you ping the furthest point, right? Can't get there, then you come back. Um, or avoid making too many changes. And, you know, I believe Ethan was talking about um, NT4. You know, I, I was always scared when he came across somebody. The first thing they did, they went into the registry, changed some keys, rebooted. It didn't mm. work. They don't back that out. They change it again. That's not scientific. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> so the scientific approach and the adjacent possible, right? I use registry to connect this. And this is freestyling, right? This is where the skill comes in. Um, the first step is I can make a registry change, but if that doesn't work, I back it off. But then when I'm doing my research, the same symptoms appear somewhere else. And I find out that's how they solved it in that field. So you bring it along. So some of the, like, you know, when we're talking about process, um, you talked about working on the health desk. The health desk follows extreme standardization and is the first blueprint to self-service. So if you're actually going to write code, your user experience, when they call the service desk, they're like, they get a refined response. If it hits that limit of their competency, they escalate to the next group. And then mm -hmm. it can branch out to different competencies. So if I bring that learning into, you know, um, you're doing Terraform these days. I remember seeing your session in Minnesota many years ago. I had to go back and think, was this guy ever technical? And then it's like, yeah, I was in a session, right? But <laughs> if I move that skill into that space, right? When you build in your templates in Terraform or ARM or whatever it is, if you apply that same methodology, which is like, I got to start somewhere, and I've got to forget that there are humans involved. So if I imagine, if there wasn't a human to respond to them, what should my computer do? Um, so that's, you know, making the connection in different fields. So it's always more about the adjacent possible. Mm, all right. So, so lean, lean into that adjacent possible uh, you know, a, a little bit more. It's like... Um, it's like the next thing over. It's not twelve steps away. It's it's the next next door. Okay. So say I'm, say I'm in a in a help desk role, or I'm a storage admin person, or something like that. Can you give some examples of what uh, what adjacent possible looks like in that scenario? Yeah. So if you're in a help desk scenario, the next level, um, typically most organizations, is uh, maybe the um, desktop support. Right. And then from desktop support, I'm doing traditional here. You can leap a bit more. You can go into server admin. But if I'm interacting with, um, let's play roles here. Ethan is the desktop support guy. Um, Ned's in the help desk. Now, I talk to Ethan. I'm sorry, Ethan, every time I escalate. And I'm like, hey, how do you work there? Can you show me this? I've started um, researching about the um, client operating system. Can you help me out? So you get closer. So now that you are experimenting and learning, that role is um, right next to it. So that's the adjacent possible. So actually, you can get that practical input and you can spread it along. You could be talking to project managers. You could be talking to the network admin. So you need to get to the edge of it and you need to be curious enough to look over the edge. It's like the infinity pool. You wouldn't fall over, right? You still need to swim to the edge to see, oh, Actually, there are buildings on the other side. If I get out of this pool, 
I can still get there. It's funny what you said about being curious enough because not everyone is. A lot of people are yeah. content where they're at. And, you know, what I'll add to that is because most people are afraid of change, including myself, right? We have to make ourselves like it. And most technologists are liars. I'm, it's a very bold <laughs> statement, right? That's a we bold all come, statement. Yeah. And I can back it up. Ain't bragging if you can back it up, right? Um, this is how I back it up. We all go, well, we like change. That's why we go into technology. But once you hit your sweet spot in one particular technology, you want them to come up with V2, V3, right? And you want to get stuck in there. The minute somebody says it can be done another way with another technology, we default to, oh, that's got to be crap. Oh, look, they haven't caught up with that bit yet. You know, it's, you know. <laughs> it's, it's, change is exhausting. Change is just tiring. And the longer you're in technology, the more tiring it seems to be. And of course, the last five years especially has just been rife with technological change. So, I mean, we do kind of like it because we're nerds. But at the same time, it's like, can't we just do the thing I know? It's going to get the job done. It works. Yeah. And and the new stuff, I, I, you said the new stuff, must. We, we tend to think <laughs> the new stuff must be crap. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Sometimes it is, though, Sam, you know. Yeah, we're not always wrong. <laughs> I know, I know. And the, the thing is, I'm not saying new is good, right? But the mo- we all go into new stuff that wasn't ready yet. And we mm-hmm. complained about it or we made it ready. Right. So when the next one comes along, we're like, man, do we have to do that again? Right. <laughs> you know, do we have to go through this journey of pain? And that's why um, it's really learning really quickly, but learning not to be emotionally invested. And I, 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 mm. there's a guy that, like, you know, mentioned this. It's a podcast I listened to many years ago. He goes, don't fall in love with technology. And, you know, we talked about NT4, Exchange 55. You know, uh, my first SQL um, version was SQL. Six five is when you have to build a device before you can build the database. And trust me, if you can figure out to do recovery when somebody hasn't documented that size, good luck to you, right? Um, so yeah, um, I joke about these things because we have to. Because when you're in technology without a sense of humor, well, you're in for a very, very lonely, sad life, right? <laughs> <laughs> Grumpy, crusty old sysadmin who. Uh, doesn't trust anything or anybody. Yeah, I I don't want to be that guy or or that gal. I, I don't want to be that person. I'd rather keep it a little light, little little positive. I, I think it's interesting. I, I want to dig into this for a second. We are all used to working with fairly mature technologies because we've been doing our thing for long enough that we're lucky enough to work with vSphere or you know Windows Server, you know two thousand whatever and Active Directory and all these ma- very mature technologies. And when a new technology comes out, I think we sometimes forget how broken some of those technologies were 10 years ago and yep. how we had to hack things together because we don't have to do that anymore. So I see like Kubernetes and all these cloud services and people are complaining that it doesn't do certain things. I'm like, well, it's not going to in the in version one. You you have to be patient and, and ready to adopt and, and learn how to do it maybe in a slightly different way. Indeed. And, you know, it's fantastic to know you mentioned that because it reminds me of my consultancy days, right? I learned a very valuable lesson that most solutions in-house are based on a workaround um, due to a limitation of a previous technology. And when you walk in there, they say, can you make it work like this? What I usually do is I go back and I really challenge them and go, what were you trying to do before you even implemented this? 
because the new technology that's come along has got a different way of doing it. And the other sweet spots I also found is actually I love limitations. It gives me the opportunity to be creative and mm-hmm. help that vendor to fill the gap. So I believe when uh, OMS um, and you had the update management solution came out, it was very, very limited um, with the things you could do. So I didn't focus on complaining about why it wouldn't do something. I thought, well, how can I make it work to suit me? So, you know, when mm-hmm. they were doing tags and stuff like that, I thought, well, we can write a value to the registry and I can search for that particular value to do my server grouping, to do my patch management. They didn't have it yet. Now they have it in dynamic groups with tagging. But mm-hmm. back then I came up with my own solution to it. So some of those limitations actually give you an opportunity to become an expert is what I mean. So don't look at them as it doesn't do what I want it to do, you know, because if you do, you're missing out on the opportunity. But it takes a very, very brave mindset to head in that direction. <laughs> it is uncharted territory. So we talked about career capital a little bit earlier and building up that career capital. And it sounds like a lot of that is just learning the soft skills and sort of the technical skills that will allow you to advance your career. But in step four, um, which we're coming to now, you talk about career progression and that's different from career capital. So why, what is that difference and, and why is it an important step? It is a fantastic, important step in this regard, right? Career progression is somebody telling you who you are. Career capital is who you are. So what I mean by it is most organizations that you work for use career progression as the carrot, right? You know, if you bust um, your backside, I don't know who's listening to this podcast. I'm going to keep it PG, right? (laughs) But if you bust your backside, you can make it to a director. You can become, you know, a senior manager someday. I worked for myself for seven years, right? I gave myself a title, a pay rise every year on LinkedIn because I could progress my career. I had that. Um, Mm -hmm. But whether I worked for myself or worked for somebody else, what nobody could take away from me was my career capital. So just build on the experience. So all you're doing is like, you know, um, gold bullion, so I'll call it, because when money goes away, that's meant to be the next big thing. Uh, well, next to Bitcoin and stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. But if you imagine each step you take, you get gold bullion, right? You build the map. For your career progression, sometimes an organization goes, well, you got 20, 100 of these, but you still can't buy a seat at this table. But they can't mm-hmm. take them. All right, fine, cool. I'll keep that, right? But each time you give it to them, it's a temporary thing. They're just holding it. When you leave, they're not entitled to that bullion because it's built inside you. It's just like, oh, this magnet draws it towards you, sticks to you, and you walk away from it. So don't get hung up in career progression because it can be um, a trap. And Ethan alluded to the MCSE um, a way back. And back then, I was told within one organization, if you get that, you're going to get 10% pay rise. Guess what? Six server guys all went for it. And when we all got it, nobody got a pay rise. They pivoted and said, well, you know, you need to add networking qualifications to it. So I was like, cool, I'll do my CCNA. And I thought, well, networking is all about learning how to use the question mark. That's not cool. Don't call me. (laughs) (laughs) I see where you're going with that. Uh, and I, I found the same thing as well. My skills follow me. 
And whatever title you want to give me, I mean, not that titles aren't important, but you you gained the MCSC. You got the CCNA. Now you can go to a different organization and say, I have these skills. Here's the position I'm looking for. And now you can start it. You can, instead of asking for a job, you can tell them you want to hire me, yeah. make me a job almost. And then you can also kind of set your price a little bit. So Maybe you didn't get that 10% pay raise, but I bet the next job you took, that factored into the pay and, and the title you had in that next position. Well, yes, I did a triple jump, the long jump and the pole vault into the next <laughs> job. Because <Right? laughs> not only had I got my MCSE, I'd learned how to recover Exchange 5.5. I'd made some good friends, um, knew a little bit about Citrix and SQL. So I had this array of skills. There is a, a point to make here, which is the direction you want to go will govern how you scale up because maybe you don't want to be at the server console uh, configuring a router, whatever it is. You Maybe you want to go into management or something else. So there are choices that you can make in this progression that will drive you into those other roles. And those are roles that, are, that can vary from engineering. Today, you're a hands-on person in the trenches, in the rack, in the cloud, making things, building out infrastructure. But then you go into management, and if you're going to be an effective manager, you're creating a whole new set of skills that really, it's helpful to have all the engineering background, of course, but isn't that. It's a different kind of job. I do agree. And, you know, we all managers, we just don't know it yet, right? So, most developers, when they, they're very, very good managers of their code. Mm -hmm. They're just not great at managing people in their mind, right? And it starts with, you know, the number one tip about career progression. Now, personally, I know we'll get tips and stuff like that, but it's uh, um, the prequel, right? So we'll cover that off. I'm learning some movie terms, right? Uh, <laughs> is if you don't know how to talk to people to understand what they need, all of this skill doesn't matter. You're always going to be somebody else's tool, right? Mm. So it's like, you know, you can either be the hammer or you can be a carpenter, right? So, uh, and you can be the person that's managing a project. So, you know, we talk about things like, say, architecture. And Ethan talked about it. You can get into management, right? Most fantastic managers or leaders, as I prefer to call them, have a minor technical background but they're the ones that the businesses look to because they're the ones that are guiding you to give the business what they need. So if you can have both, that's like a superhero with multiple powers. You know, Superman had X-ray vision. Um, you know, Shaft had the coolest outfits going down. You know what I mean? See how I blended <laughs> those two, right? <laughs> so imagine if you had Shaft as Superman with a little bit of Spider-Man DNA, that's you right there. That's a comic book I would read. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Learning all this stuff by yourself is difficult. And I mean, talks like the one that you gave are helpful. But I think there's another portion of that, which is to find someone or some people that can help you and give you pointers along the way so you don't get lost. Uh, so... What, what are some of the, how important is to have a mentor and how important is community? Because those are two very different things, but I think they both support career growth. Both are equally important and at different points in your career, they become absolutely vital. I wish I'd done community and mentorship um, earlier on in my career. So if I take 
having a mentor. First of all, let's define a mentor. Everybody assumes that somebody in a higher position or knows more than you do. It's actually your friends, somebody else even within your team, right? Mm. That has a different mindset. So finding somebody that thinks differently to you approaches problems differently is the basic mentor you should have. And my first mentor was actually my little brother. We work in the same organization. You know why? He annoyed the crap out of me, right? Because <laughs> every time I came up with something, he was like, well, how do you know it will work? Have you thought about this? So, you know, he was the one that always disappointed you. And what I mean by it is he was right, but I just didn't want to hear it. Right, you know, because, you know, you think your ideas are fantastic until you show them to somebody. Um, so mm -hmm. that's your first virtual mentor. Um, the second one is look out for senior people that are willing to share. Mm -hmm. And remember that it's, it's a give and take. So they also want to learn about what you're doing. And don't do what sometimes I get on, you know, social media or other places. They tag onto your career and they go, hey, can you mentor me? I'm like, who are you? <laughs> you know. Right. <laughs> Yeah, what, what have you got for me? But yeah, no, they are from both. And then community. I go into book writing because of community, right? So the first um, book I authored in was an Unleash book. And I'd met this guy in Vegas, not Happy Vegas, Geek Vegas. You know, it was MMS <laughs> back then, right? Um, and I was trying to fix a problem with work. You know, whenever you travel or you're at a conference back in the day, now it's virtual. That's when people call you and go, you know, that one thing that you're the only one that knows about, it's broken. I'm like, you're kidding me. I just got my first cocktail. I'm just about to <laughs> sip this and I'm ready to troubleshoot. <laughs> so he was just standing over my shoulder. He was from Netherlands, very loud. Um, they don't apologize for interrupting you because it's about the culture. They just get straight in and go, so no, that wouldn't work. And I'm like, okay. But I listened to him. A year later, he goes, you know what? I've got a project management job in D Dubai. I've got this gig um, to write two chapters for Unleash. Are you interested? And that's what the community did for me. And that was my first writing gig. It was an accidental thing. But mm -hmm. being in a community connected me with people that otherwise I wouldn't have even known were going to be part of my future. Right. Yeah. I Similar experiences here that most of my career advancement in the last few years has all been community driven. It's just getting involved in different communities, meeting people like Ethan over here, meeting Ethan yeah. in the Pack Pushers. <laughs> and then we started this crazy podcast, uh, yeah. meeting other people through Tech Field Day and just like developing that community that supports each other. And, you know, if I see an opportunity, you know, I can pass that along to somebody else if it's not for me. And yeah, it's that back and forth. That's just amazing. So get involved, people. Get out there. I know sometimes we don't love talking to other people, but it's it's definitely worthwhile. And if you listen, instead of just talking over them, you're going to learn something too. I, I, yes. And, you know, I'd like to ask Ethan, you know, in terms of what do you share? Um, it's a trick question. I can make it a you know, rhetorical question and answer it for you. So don't worry, you don't have to get it right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> everybody talks about, you know, I want people to notice me, right? Um, what is the easiest way to get a job through blogging or what you're doing? Um, you know, in your opinion, how does that get you a job? 
So blogging, writing, anything that you do publicly and share is sort of an online resume. It demonstrates technical competence. It demonstrates that you're able to communicate effectively, both of which are uh, incredibly valuable to an employer. You've got better answers than I do. So listen to Ethan there, right? Because people usually go, well, how do I find out about opportunities? And I'll say the, the biggest thing now that we've got these platforms to share is to let them come to you. I got consultancy gigs because uh, I recall um, one of the Channel Islands, guy randomly pinged me on LinkedIn and goes, hey, do you know this? And then I gave him the answer and I went away. Six months later, another consultancy contacts me and goes, hey, you know, um, this company wants to work with you. And I find out that guy was the hiring manager. He, I gave him the answer for free, but he was trying to convince his peers internally that they should go down this roots of the technology or route to the technology has got to switch. I'm talking to Americans here. Uh, we'll get that right. right? <laughs> but just that little bit of giving and showing expertise is also a bit of like your upfront investment in the community. And it can be hard to get noticed um, in, in the, the, the internet where everyone is screaming these days and live streaming and so on. And, and the thing to do is just be, uh, be very specific. And in technology, it's easy to be specific. And there's surprisingly few people that are going to write about that esoteric thing that you had to dive deeply into to figure out. You write about that, the keyword matches are going to bring up your blog. That's, it's mm -hmm. worth the effort to create that content. I agree. Less is more, in my opinion, right? So with so many voices screaming out there, right? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's like, you know, looking for the haystack in multiple needles, right? Get metal detector and pull it apart, right? So I, I talk about blogging, but I only blog about things that I find relevant at that time. And I mm -hmm. think it's of value because talking about the same thing that other people are talking about in different colors with different images and referencing each other, it's not going to get you noticed. Like Ethan said, blog about a specific problem, right? That you've mm -hmm. dug into and collaborate. Honestly, you know, I never really did many solo sessions because I loved being on stage with different people. Um, because you bounce off each other and it gives your audience an opportunity to hear different parts of how you solve that problem. So, you know, the Lone Ranger approach in this space as well isn't always the best approach. You know, don't be a tower. Right, right. Well, this has been a far-reaching conversation about career development. And I'm going to ask you to do something really hard. I'm going to ask you to distill this down to three key takeaways for listeners. So what are your three key takeaways from this conversation? Oh, three key takeaways. Sharing is caring. Um, so um, it's not in the right order, but the very first thing that we talked about is skill, right? And skill comes mm -hmm. with practice and dedication. You can't skip that, right? Mm -hmm. And um, start off easy. So start off with something in that skill-based area that you can pick up on. So if you want to code, code for a particular problem. I wanted to catalog my records, right? So I coded for that. So that's like two and a half tips there, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, um, the critical tip I always say is mind your own business, even if it's working for somebody else. So if you do it as though it's your business, Put that care and dedication into it because if you don't, that's going to follow you. So I never walk into an interview angry. Oh, they didn't give me an opportunity. That's why I'm here. Because the person looking at you, you look angry. And that's the first impression. 
So mind your own business and think, well, if this was my business, what would I do? And don't mm-hmm. worry about the fact that they're not rewarding you at that time. It's critical to sort of like go into it. Like it's your own baby. Your yeah. puppy, your kitten, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> if, um, if folks want to know more about you, find you on the, on the internet, what's, what are some good places to, uh, to find your, your wisdom and wit? Well, this podcast, bro. For starters, <laughs> so <laughs> well, my claim to fame, and it's not bragging if you can um, back it up, it's like actually, if you put my name in the search engine in Google, I come up with multiple videos. I do have my own blog site, you know, Geek by Day, Freak by Night. It's going to be um, the backdrop to a book, but you can find me at Sam Erskine on Twitter. Um, it's easier. And nowadays, it's probably easier to also hit me up on LinkedIn. I am polite. I don't have public conversations. I prefer to do DMs. So if you reply to all culture and you like to post on boards, remember you can post on there, but I'll always respond to you directly. And you can always hit Ned and Ethan up. They know where to find me for the right yeah. amount mm-hmm. of like, um, what currency are we trading in now? Bitcoins or gold bullions? I believe. We're, we're, we're talking about the doubloons, baby. <laughs> right, well, Sam. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being a guest today on Day 2 Cloud. My pleasure, guys. And um, thank you very much for inviting me. Looking forward to the next one with barbecues and stuff. Absolutely. That'd be great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sam. And hey, listeners out there, virtual high fives to you for tuning in. If you have suggestions for future shows, we'd love to hear them. Hit either of us up on Twitter at EC Banks or at Ned1313, or you can fill out the form on my fancy website, nedinthecloud.com. If you've got a way cool cloud product you want to share with our audience of IT professionals, hey, why not become a day two cloud sponsor? You'll reach several thousand listeners, all of whom have problems to solve. You know what? Maybe your product, it fixes that problem. That would be fantastic. But they'll never know unless you tell them about it. So you can find out more about that at packetpushers.net slash sponsorship. And until next time, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans.